Good morning, everybody. Well, thank you. Well, I'm glad to be with you this morning, and uh, Sammy has told me great things about your church, and so it's good to be in a church of people who are so on fire and so in love with Jesus. And I love that you have John coming out. I think this is such a harvest season right now, so it's so cool to activate ourselves again. And we've been doing the same kind of thing at our church, where it's like we're trying to get just rekindled in evangelism and sharing our, our lives with the, 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 I can't talk, the lost. I'm a little tired this morning, but I'll make it. I have a four-month-old baby, and I have a two-year-old baby, and I've been away from them and sleeping, having a sleep vacation. It's been glorious. <laughs> My wife is so incredibly jealous. It's Mother's Day, and I'm here with you. We planned this like a long time ago that we would stay over on a Sunday. It's the only holiday I'm missing this year. And my wife's like, it's the only one you should be here on if you're having a sleep vacation. <laughs> Sorry about that. So this year, um, you know, our church, we're an entertainment-based church. I know that sounds unusual, but we actually go after the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. So 80% of our people work in the entertainment industry. But we also have a lot of families who are just common, normal business people, families, whatever, which we all need to be together to do something in Los Angeles to model family in the entertainment industry. It's really beautiful. But this year, we've been really going after evangelism. It's been really beautiful. And we've been really going after sharing our faith. And we've had about 20 new converts. And as a matter of fact, it's fun because we rent a Chinese church. We rent it full time now. So we've taken down the Chinese characters after years. It's great. People are like, what does that mean? And we're like, we have no idea. And uh, and we've had uh, six people in the neighborhood get saved who've never been to church before. And our people were reaching out to him as they were like walking to church because we have to park really far away because we were in Los Angeles. You guys have beautiful parking. It's amazing. You actually have space in your building too. I'm like, what would we do with all this space? You know, it's like we have like 300 people in a room this size. And, uh, but it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see God in his heart right now. He's, he's creating inside of us a faith that he wants to touch everybody again. And I feel like we only get to that place in our capacity when we feel full, and that's when we'll want to give away. And so God's filling us up so that we can feel like, oh, I do want to talk to the person at the gas station. I do want to talk to the person at the Starbucks worker. I do want to talk to the person at the grocery store. If you don't feel full here, you won't do it. You know, if you don't feel capable here, you won't do it. So we're like really focused on like loving ourselves the right way, not narcissism, which is Hollywood. <laughs> the whole Hollywood industry, it's like, I'm so beautiful and wonderful. Love me. You know, it's kind of self-hatred love. But the real kind of godly love, you know, and I feel like we're focusing on that. So it's so fun to hear that John's doing this. And I just encourage you guys even more to come out for it. I have a few resources. I'm not going to go over anything but these two just because this one is Cody, who's going to be at the end. He's going to be doing ministry with me, and I have him setting up right now. Cody's our worship director of our church, and we have like, I think we have five worship teams. It always changes. We have people who move away and come and move away and come because the entertainment industry people might be in Vancouver for a while, or they might be in New York or wherever. And so uh, Cody leads our worship department that were in, of our ministry, and we started a music label, and this was our first for it's just to get something out there to show what we're, we're, what we're kind of brewing in Los Angeles. And it's called All for Love, and it really is all about love. So it's so beautiful. Two of the songs are his. One of the songs is from the House of Prayer in Pasadena, Pie Hop House of Prayer. It's a cute name, Pie Hop. David Brimer, who was with the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for a long time. But is there anybody who... Uh, it feels like you have a worship calling in your life, but you're not doing it yet. Anybody who feels that like, I feel like I'm supposed to be in a worship team or something at some point, but I haven't started yet. Anybody in the whole church? Come on. You're all placed on the worship team. There you go. Somebody has to be here. Could you go give that to her real fast? I was going to say, okay, I'll be on your worship team. I'll, I'll take the CD. And then uh, this book is my main book that I've written that people are excited about, I think. It's called Keith Stephens Economy. It sold 175,000 copies, and it's, it sent me around the world to meet with all kinds of people, everyone from the poorest to the poor, and some nations like Congo and Kenya. It's, it's been published in a lot of different languages. We have one in every prison in America, which is just crazy. And so I have prisoners who write me letters who've started businesses because they've seen a perspective that the Father wants to give Jesus everything that he promised him. And Jesus paid the price for it. So there's great resources going to be released to us so that we can partner with the Father's heart over Jesus to get his full reward. And so it's not a prosperity message, but it is a resource message. It's a really good message. So those of you who are like really going for it financially, like starting businesses or you're working, you're believing to resource the kingdom, you need to read this book. It's going to really help you. It's about an angelic visitation. And I don't write those things lightly. I know some of these guys, like they have angels, you know, visit, visitations all the time. I've had like a few. And they've turned into a lifetime of work, which is the only bad thing about having prophetic experiences and visitations is that you have to work really hard after. Everyone's like, I want a visitation. I'm like, 
you only want one, though, because it might cost you 20 years of work to steward it, but it's good. So is there anybody starting a business this year or you've started one in the last two years that you feel like this guy, I'm actually the guy in the blue. I'm, I'm, you're, you're so full of like strategy and revelation. That guy in the back there, give it to him. Okay. Oh, it's okay. You can have one too. Just get one at the table. Um, okay, so here we go. You guys, do you realize the type of season we're in right now where anything is possible? And I want to define that not just in a general sense, a generic sense, but this is the first generation that we could reach anywhere in the world within 20 hours by plane. This is the first generation where we can host seminars here. You can host seminars at your church and do church planning from your church all over the world. We have friends who have 20 congregations on Sunday mornings that stream in their services from America, from all over the world. You know, that's just crazy. There's, there's schools that are using programs that make, make learning so much easier because like Seoul University has some of the Harvard teachers teaching from Harvard, but whole classrooms full in Seoul University. So these Ivy League schools are doing teacher shares in a way that's never been done before. Women are no longer just a second class citizen group in the world. Women are allowed to be powerful and empowered. There's still issues, but they're allowed to be powerful and empowered. <laughs> There's a, there is, there's discriminatory issues still. But the fact is, if you had this sense of calling, I mean, I see two of the women, I heard you guys are sisters, and you guys have these like powerful presences. So if, if you guys were born 70 years ago, you wouldn't even be up here. You'd be like, oh, I'll sit in the back or next to my husband, that's it. You know, like that's all you get. And, and now we have women who are being empowered in any sphere of society to see something amazing happen in the majority of cultures, at least in the Western world, which is so beautiful. Races aren't discriminated to the point of death anymore in most Western countries. At, th at this point, we have almost any race could do almost anything, which is beautiful. I mean, in America, we have a black president, which is so amazing. And so even if you don't like Obama, some of you are like, I don't know if I like Obama. The fact that this people group that felt so victim for so long because of how they were treated in our nation with so much injustice, one of theirs, which was not the Cosby Show or the Jeffersons, which was only TV, rose up to the most powerful position in the world in our generation. So all of these like laws and rules and, and predisposed ideas and all these things have started to break down in our generation because God's put an unusual people on the earth right now to accomplish an unusual mission. And he needs everyone on deck. That means everybody can be empowered. The beautiful thing about the gospel, it's the only place that anybody could be redeemed. Because outside of, the, outside of Christianity, there's a limited redemption for people, like especially people who are of moral failure or emotional failure or have gone to jail or all these things. There's no redemption that they could have into a place of leadership and community except from the church on this level. I love that. I met with somebody on death row a couple years ago, and she was one of the most amazing people I've ever met. She was, she'd been on death row because 20 years before she had killed her boyfriend, and it was like so sad and so tragic. And if you heard her story of what she came to to do that, it was so bizarre that even the case that she was in, that she was put on death row in the state of Georgia. And so I met with her, and she was a minister in the prison system. They let her travel from prison to prison by armored guards, and she brought over 15,000 inmates to the Lord and had, has 250 discipleship groups in prisons. And she's still stuck there. She can't get out of prison. And I'm looking at her going, you are the most empowered person I've met, and you're a prisoner. Like, you're completely like, you, you, it's like you're not in jail at all. She's like, I'm not. My, my heart has no prison. And so therefore, where my heart is, that's how I treat the world around me. And so anybody, even with natural prison around you, anybody in, in, who's a Christian could be fully empowered, which is beautiful. But what happens if you don't have any of those limitations or restrictions on you? How much more can you be empowered? So it's just such a beautiful season where we're seeing, some of you have heard, um, and I want to, I'm going to go here for just a second. Some of you have heard Lance Wall now, or you've heard Bill Bright or Lauren Cunningham share about the seven spheres of influence or seven mountaintops. Have you ever heard that philosophy? And I think it's, I just want to remind you, for those of you who haven't heard it, or those of you who have but need a refresher, the two most powerful men of youth missions in the world, like the two biggest youth organizations in the world, YWAM and Campus Crusade for Christ, had never met. So they get together. I can't remember when it was. It was like in the late 90s. They get together, and Bill Bright is, is conservative, but he's heard the Lord very clearly. That's how he started what he's doing. As a matter of fact, I love that Bill Bright heard the Lord in Henrietta Mira's campus in Hollywood, 
which is amazing. He was birthed out of Hollywood, and that's where Campus Crusade from, uh, for Christ came out of. And in our city of Glendale, California, which Cody is ashamed of, I'm just kidding. <laughs> People ask Cody where he's from. He's like, it's kind of embarrassing. You've never heard of it. Well, here's the good thing about Glendale. We have Forest Lawn where Catherine Coleman's buried. Amy Simon McPherson's buried, Henrietta Mirez is buried, Walt Disney is buried. All these people are buried in this, in this amazing, you know, cemetery. I'm like going, if there's any glory in their bones, God, let it come forth right now, you know. We'll take it. But anyways, back to Campus Crusade for Christ. Henrietta Mirez anointed and released Bill Bright. She baptized Billy Graham in the Holy Spirit. She was an amazing woman, you know, back a long time ago. And so she's, we just honor her. But, but uh, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham are praying together and meeting each other for the first time. They had a nighttime meeting, and they were going to have a breakfast meeting. By the breakfast meeting, they get together, and they both want to tell each other the most astounding dreams they had had. I'll tell you Lauren Cunningham's version, which kind of describes both, I think, best, which was he saw seven mountaintops, and he was only sending people to one mountaintop, but all of them were the spheres of influence that made up world culture. And it was kind of a convicting dream where he had raised up at that point uh, close to 700,000 youth in his missions program to go all around the world for missions, but it was very ministry and church-centric. And he realized that he hadn't created a place of influence where he was sending youth with the same empowerment to go into business or politics or education or, or media or entertainment or family, that, that he almost was avoiding those, thinking that those just happen naturally or those aren't our focus as Christians, that when you're really anointed, you're going after ministry or church. And God convicted him as one of the leading like missionary developers in history. God convicted him and said, you've only developed people for religious class and work, and it's not enough. And therefore, you put an inordinate affection in people's hearts for ministry, and they have no impact anywhere else. Bill Bright, the same thing. He saw seven mind molders of society. That's what he called them, people who mold the mind, like Joseph molded the mind of Egypt. You know, Daniel molded the mind. He was a mind molder of the government of Babylon. And he saw that, that they never released anyone, the spirit of Joseph or the spirit of Daniel, to go into society. And, and so therefore, they, they had had a very limited impact because the majority of people on the earth won't go to church within their first three to five appointments or divine appointments with Christians. And so he realized, oh my gosh, I'm not training people to go out into all the world. I'm training people to bring people into church. And that's not enough. Like, it's a good thing, but it's not enough. There's all these spheres that God wants to hit. So all the songs that have been written and all the songs that we focus on as Christians are all vertical, which is beautiful, which is worship, but we can't really worship God unless we have healthy self-love and healthy love for one another. So therefore, we've advocated the people to write our love songs that we get married to and dance to, fall in love to, to the world. We don't even think our job is to write love songs, but the reality is that revival looks like something that's different than just church-centric activity. Revival looks like family. Revival looks like healthy love. I love 1 John 4 where it says, no one has seen the face of God, but when we love one another, he can be fully expressed and seen. So people believe in the reality of who God is because of your love. And I told the story the other night that it's one of my favorite stories to tell. My parents, uh, my dad was a colonel in the Air Force, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom who counseled and led like three Bible studies a week and did all kinds of crazy stuff. She was so much fun, and she is so much fun still. And uh, they're both alive. I acted like they were dead or something. They're both very happy and alive. And when I was growing up, uh, they counseled a lot of people. In any crisis, the Air Force base would call my parents, like as if they were the chaplains, and they weren't, you know. And so this one couple that was a couple houses down, they got into a huge fist fight. And so they called my parents to take the woman, and they called a general to take the man. The grandparents took the babies because the grandparents lived close. And so this woman comes to stay with us, and we knew there was problems in the house. Even those kids were like, oh, that's a house that fights all the time because you could just hear screaming. And my mom had invited them to uh, church several times. They were like, no, thank you. Thank you, Stacia. They like my mom, though, so they would talk to her. So she was staying with us for the weekend uh, while she was going through some therapy, and, and they were trying to figure out a plan for what they were going to do to help this marriage because the Air Force really tries to restructure marriage. They, they hate divorce, so they really try and help you stay married, which is beautiful. I think it's a beautiful thing. And so uh, Sunday morning comes along, and my mom didn't want to put pressure on her to go to church because it was such an intense, traumatic season of her life. So she didn't even ask her. Normally, she'd asked her before in the past, but she's just like, I'm not even going to ask her. She can bring it up if she wants to. And that morning, like 8 in the morning, this woman asked, you know, are you guys going to church today? I'd really like to go with you. And my mom's like, yes, this is good. And so we get in our big old, we had one of those big 80s vans, you know, like huge vans. And so I'm in the backseat with my sister Jennifer. Then my other sister Cindy and this woman are sitting across from each other in the middle. And then my mom and dad are in the front. 
And somehow our family got on this beautiful subject of where we're going to eat, which turned into a 15-minute long fight. And we were all yelling, but it wasn't like hardcore, like, I hate you. It was more like, I'm going to get my way fight, you know. And, and pretty soon, as soon as we're screaming all the way from back to the front of the van, this woman's crying. And my mom's looking at us with that evil, you know, mom look. That's like the righteous mom that says, if you say one more word, I will laser eye you and you will die and cease to exist. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. We're in so much trouble. And so she looks at us, we all shut up. And then my mom's like, sweetie, she goes from yelling at what she wanted, you know, sweetie, we're so sorry. We never fight like this. I'm like, we fight like this all the time, but okay. <laughs> we never fight like this. We're so sorry. I mean, this traumatized woman, we traumatized her more awesome, you know? And so she, and the woman's like, no, it's so beautiful. We're like, oh no, she's lost her freaking mind. Awesome. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And I was like, what's beautiful, sweetie? And she goes, I've never seen people fight who love each other. You guys really love each other. Like, there's no divorce on the table. You guys aren't, like, I don't feel any separation in your hearts. You're just cranky. <laughs> it's like, I've never seen this before. So every fight she'd ever had with anybody, it was, disconnect my heart from you, and I will no longer talk to you until time goes by, and something in me will muster up enough courage and strength to stay connected to some degree. That's all she had. And she's with us. We're, we had lost no connection by our fight, and I was going to win anyways at nine. I knew I was going to win. We lost no connection, and we would be fine if we went to wherever we're going to go. You know, like, we'd be fine, and we'd all eat, and we'd be better, whatever. You know, it was, was going to be okay, and she could feel that. And so she's like, God is real. God is real. She got saved because she saw not totally healthy, but somewhat healthy hearts in the midst of conflict, <laughs> you know, being okay with each other, like actually really loving each other, that we weren't going to disengage our hearts just because we were disagreeing with each other. And the world's looking for what is a model of even, even healthy or normal conflict, or at least resolution, if it's unhealthy conflict. Where's the resolution? The world's looking for how do we do that place of connection that God called us to be present in relationship? Because at some point, if you're fighting for relationship and the other person's on the same journey as you, at some point it gets exhausting. And, and the world doesn't have anyone to sustain their heart. Like we have God, like if you get exhausted with somebody in your life, which we all get exhausted with somebody in our life who's really important to us, you can go, God, give me the faith, the trust, every, every level of love I can have from your heart so that during this season, which is one of the hardest times I've ever had to relate to this person, could you help me through it? And he does. Like our job is to keep our hearts as wide open as possible. People don't, who don't have God don't have that challenge or that privilege. And the whole world's looking for how do I keep my heart open? How do I stay connected? How do I be present in my life? How do I enjoy what I have even though it's not necessarily enough yet? It's not the fullness of what I want. How do I enjoy this? And I remember, you know, one of our friends, she's best friends with the A-list celebrity. And the A-list celebrity was going through a Hollywood premiere where she'd been paid the most any woman had ever been paid uh, in Hollywood. And she was so excited. And, you know, they go down the red carpet together and, and her husband couldn't come that night. So she brought her best friend, so, who's one of my closest friends. And so... They go up to the, the front, and they've just gone through like two hours of paparazzi, and everyone's asking, what are you doing next? What's going on? You're amazing. Ah, and, and so my friend who's with her, who's also a model, and they're both in their about 50s now, and, uh, but they were in their 40s when this was happening, and my, my friend who was with her, you know, she sits down, and her friend, the celebrity superstar, sits on her lap and whispers in her ear and goes, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'll ever get a job like this again, and she couldn't be present in the glory of the moment because she was so discouraged with what if nothing else happens. And that's a definition of a life in God or a life outside of God. Because a life in God, you just get to enjoy the moment. Because it's not about doing something bigger or greater, it's about like, I got to do this too. I get this too, thank you God. Like we're just so grateful for everything, right? Like any good thing that comes, we get to be present in it and go, this is good enough. Like I'm not in performance, so I don't have to, you know, if, if my church goes down, like I remember when our church after five years, we had 60 people move out of state. And 30 of our core team members, 12 of our department leaders, our best department, like everybody moved from the department. Our dance department, every, we have a lot of professional dancers, they all moved, all our creative arts people moved. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like all my friends just left. There's like five of us left as far as who are like really leading. And I remember our church went down to maybe 150 people because 60 had moved. And I just, and I wasn't discouraged like with numbers at all. I was just discouraged my family was gone. I was like going, God, you're going to have to give me a heart for like, how am I going to like church at this stage? Because all the people I loved to work with are gone. And it's totally awesome. It's promotion. It's what we're all dreaming of. Like they all got promoted into their life. None of it was negative. 
But I'm, I'm left behind. Like my, my family and friends are left behind going, we love you guys. We're so glad for you. Bye. You know? And I had to figure out, like, do I want to do this anymore? Is this, is this really you? I remember in that stage, and even in that, I was like, I'm so glad that you work all things for good of those who believe. Like, you work this for my best. And so I can even be present with your heart in this too. And even though there's a sadness in my heart, there's also this giddy joy of, like, what's going to happen? In all the trials I've gone through, whether I face death, which I have many times, unfortunately, and, or whether I face sickness, which I have many times, unfortunately, or whether we've just faced hardship. It's like the thing I love about it is that as Christians, there's almost this healthy but weird addiction to how God's going to work things out. Not to the drama. The world's addicted to drama. But in me, I'm addicted to how is heaven going to move on my behalf because my God loves me so much. Have you ever met someone who's addicted to drama? They're addicted to, they're addicted to the, the, the crisis, the controversy, the scandal. I hate that part. I'm like, you can have it back, it's yours. I don't even like to watch reality television. During the Bachelorette and the Bachelor seasons, we have two home groups that form of girls who call it home groups, and they watch it together. It's beautiful. <laughs> and my wife hosts one of them. <laughs> yes. And so, and we've had actually one of our whole groups of girls was on the show. Like the Bachelor and, Bachelorette and her, her boyfriend or whoever they were came over to their house on the show in front of 60 million people and, or 30 million people, however many people watch it, and came to their house where they were watching it and surprised them. And I was like going, this is my church. This is awesome. <laughs> and I watched that show and I'm literally like watching it going, why would you want to watch no emotional intelligence and total drama? <laughs> And crap, like that has no resolution. And all they do is they yell at the people on screen like about how stupid they are. And I'm like, what, what does this do for you? And I just think of like, you know, when I was dating, because I didn't get married until 37, when I was dating, I had this hope inside of me of like, I didn't go, am I going to be good enough? Or are they going to be good enough? Am I going to be able to work this out? Well, I have, I knew inside of me, like, if I just follow God, he'll give me the best. And he'll make me the best for them. Like, I didn't have this fear, like, what if I never get married? What if I don't know? I just could feel the presence of God in me. And I feel like the whole world's like, how do you get that stability? And it comes from relationship. And we're supposed to model healthy living in relationship, which is more revival than, I mean, someone's leg might grow back once. You know, like, that's amazing if a leg grows back. But what about, like, people who work in prosthetics, who are Christians, who could actually create functioning body parts? It's crazy with it. They can, they can now 3D print appendages. I don't know if you know that. That's crazy. Like in third world nations right now, they're, they're printing out legs and arms that work. Praise Jesus. We, my spiritual dad is a man named Bill Johnson in, in Redding, California, him and Benny Johnson who lead their church, Bethel. And they're such amazing people. And I remember in 2006, he was praying for a cancer-free zone. When my spirit, I, I really believe I've seen that God wants to heal cancer in our generation. I really believe he wants to heal it. So I loved his dream, and I go, God, I love my spiritual father's dream, but I want to one-up my father's dreams. And I want, to, I want to pray into cancer research in our lifetime that you would destroy cancer, not just your healing power, which I love and we need, but you would, you would create the cure for cancer in my lifetime. And I feel like there's this place in us that has to start to graduate in our faith because the world's looking for spiritual resolution that we have access to, but we're not even aware of how amazing it is sometimes. Sometimes we lose being present with how amazing our lives can be in God. Or we don't realize like when we're having a sad day, we actually get resolution and we have eternal resolution and we get natural resolution at some point. That's how good God is. You know, but we go to the poorest places, like our missions are in conflict zones and it's so funny to go there because... We're with people in some of the darkest circumstances, and I won't talk about any of them today because there's a lot of kids in the room, but it's amazing to see, like, you, you, you sit with people who literally have zero hope. Like, North Americans, we actually have hope. We actually are like, I'm going to start a career in business, and most people around us are like, that's cool. You should try that. If you're in Kenya, which is not even that much of a conflict zone, depending on where you're at, you're at it's like, there's not the hope of, I'm going to start a business. There's a the hope of, I'm going to try and survive. So the dreaming level is gone in most third world developing countries. The dreaming level of like, I'm going to start something unless you're in a big city or you have access, you know, but as far as the majority. And, and we have this incredible ability to go, I want to reinvent myself because I've seen something in God. There's hardly any people groups on the world who even try that. And you have this connection to God that creates something inside of you that's a hope against hope. You know, America's... Uh, uh, 
you know, vote of the country that has the most hope, which I think is amazing. I think that's such a gift that I, I get to live for in that country where there's people who already have a dream, but I've lived in parts of America. I lived in Alabama, and I love Alabama, but I'm going to tell you the negative side. When I was there, I would ask people, what do you want to do, like, with your life? And they go, I don't know. The kids, 18-year-olds, guess I want to go to junior college. Well, what do you want to do in junior college? I don't know. Well, what do you want in your life? I hope to get married one day. And that was a, as much as they could dream, even as Christians. That was it. Then I went out to Los Angeles, and everybody had a superstar dream. Like, you'd go to a Starbucks worker. I have a joke that if you go up to any Starbucks worker and you go, are you an actor? God, show me you're an actor. They'll start breaking down crying and feel validated by heaven. <laughs> You know me. God knows me. I'm like, no, because you all are. You're either musicians or actors. That's why you're here. You know, it's like, it's the perfect prophetic evangelism scenario. It's like you could literally walk up to anybody on the streets of Hollywood and go, I have a word for you from God. I feel like there's entertainment on your life. And they're like, <laughs> you know, because they have this huge dream that they're looking for validation for, you know. But if you do that and it's not God, it's a bummer, you know. But these kids in Alabama didn't have a dream. I moved out to Los Angeles where everybody has way too big of a dream. And so it's a city of broken dreamers. But what I loved about it was that God can sanctify ambition way quicker than he can create it. And God wants us to be the most ambitious people in the world in our sphere of influence. Some of us are so afraid of selfish ambition and wrong ambition that we don't have good ambition. And, so, and in good ambition, there's always an immaturity place where you have to learn the boundaries of what's selfish and what's not. You don't learn how to, how to navigate through life by always doing right. You learn by, and I'm not talking about gross moral failure or, or, or sinful failure, but I'm just talking about human weakness. Immaturity is different than sin. There's a type of sin that's immoral sin, and there's a type of mistakes we make in immaturity where I remember thinking how big my calling was when I was 18 years old, going, I am going to be the Messiah to the world, Jesus number two. You know, like, not really, but in my brain, I was thinking, thank God for unto the world a son was born. You know, like, I just was ready. And, and God had to knock that thing out of me in so many different ways, but he did it by promoting my desires and using me in the exact sphere I wanted to go into, but bringing me a reality check of what love looked like. He didn't do it by me like hiding away for 10 years and hoping to get all my character right before I went into it. As a matter of fact, you'll never have the character you need for the next promotion because you get it by being promoted. My dad, you know, I watched him go from major to captain to all these different ranks to lieutenant colonel to full colonel. I watched him go through that and he was never ready for the next stage. The capacity had to change every time because the role changed, which put a different pressure on his character. Now, you don't put somebody into being a colonel who's an airman. You just don't do it because they need the training along the way. But each stage of promotion, you literally have to graduate in character. I remember the first major ministry opportunity I had and all through the 90s, I traveled with major ministry figures and the charismatic Pentecostal church and, and, and people would ask me, like, the, the, the people who'd be in the back rooms would be like, are you here to carry their bags? I'm like, no, I'm actually speaking tonight, too. And I was 19 and 20. And they're like, yeah, right. And then I get up on the stage in front of 5,000 people. My first opportunity was 5,000 people. And I was like, oh, my dear Jesus, this is awesome. <laughs> and I was terrible. I was terrible. I was like, how, how did I get into this role? Like, this is like, I was terrible. But God knew there was something inside of me that needed to be developed in that season with those guys. And so he allowed it to happen. And I totally had some arrogance and pride, but he wasn't concerned with young man pride. He allowed me to grow through something because he knew he had my heart and he knew I'd repent. He knew that I wanted to love people more than I wanted to have bad character. And so he loved me. He put me in a, a, a position to where my character could grow into what it was supposed to be. It's kind of like you can see like a 25-year-old boy or man, man boy who has a baby and is like, I like to play video games for eight hours after I get home. I ignore my wife, all of these things. And then a baby comes. And the 25-year-old man boy goes, I have to change diapers? I, this person, they'll die if I don't help you take care of them. No one else comes when they cry when my wife's at the store. What do I do with this, this thing? You know, It's like, they may not have character, but you put them in charge of something to love. And a side of them will develop but the problem is when we, when we think about like what we're called to, it's not always about love. It's about things, and it's about performance. God never made you to be an awesome performer. As a matter of fact, he chose you because you're weak in performance. He chose you because you're not the best things of the world. 1 Corinthians 1 is the most insulting scripture or the best one. 
God has chosen you, the weakest ones of the entire world, to shame the strong ones. I read that and I was like going, God, I'm a little offended. I think I'm okay. Like this, this makes me feel really bad. You know, and, but he really chose you because you plus God equals everything. But you without God, there's a gap between where he's calling you to called faith and where you can get on your own. Because if you can build it in this place of flesh, you'll maintain it in this place of flesh, and then you'll have to work 10 times harder than what the grace that's on your life. But if you build your relationships and the things around you in kingdom mindset with love, then what happens is when you go through a hard time, I'm sure with what you've been struggling with, like you've had to unplug to some degree from some things that you normally do. And yet I feel it's beautiful here. It's so beautifully maintained. Like you guys have done such a great job that while you've been in the struggle, even though you're coming to church today with chemo after chemotherapy, which I've had chemo, I can't believe you're doing this. I would have never come to church. You are my hero. This is amazing. But but you've come, and I'm sure there's a level of like things that you would, like a level of performance that you're not doing right now because you have to take care of you. And yet, because you built with God, look what's happening. It's not that you're not needed. It's that the, the grace is sufficient for all these relationships and things because it's the beautiful love of God you built from, not from performance. And that's amazing. So when you don't build on performance, you can have a timeout, whether it's a good timeout or a hard timeout. And God maintains everything. As a matter of fact, I took a sabbatical a year off and everybody thought I had a scandal or sin. They were like, oh my gosh, what happened to Sean Bowles? I heard he took a year off. He was linked to this minister and this minister and they had moral failures. Do you think Sean has a moral failure? I've never been drunk in my life. I had never had sex before I was married. I never did drugs. I stole something when I was 13. I felt so guilty. <laughs> you know, like, like I had no scandals. I was, I'm the most boring, scandalous person. Like people would ask me consistently, like when I would get to know like new ministries and stuff, because of some of the people I was around, they're like, did you, have you struggled with some stuff? Like, tell me, basically tell me your sin list. And I'm like, I'm really boring. Like, um, I get mad at customer service people a lot. <laughs> I have cussed in traffic, I have to admit, because I live in LA and I'm, I'm having to graduate my traffic character. But you know, like, it's, it's hard, you know. And so I took a year off and everybody's like, oh no. And I thought, in that year, I thought, in the beginning of it, I was like maybe 27. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose everything. Because I had the best book contract and I had a TV show and all these things that were like I was in contract with. And I had to like break my contract and ask them for mercy so I can take a year off. And I thought, I have just broken relationship and been foolish to go and seek God. And this is going to be the worst thing that ever happened to me because I'm, I'm pulling myself out of what God put me in but he's asking me to do it, to seek him, to really find him. And I had so many performance issues I didn't even know about. So when I left and just built my relationship with him, I had more invitations that year than I'd had in 10 years. I had more opportunities that year. I didn't do any of them, but I had more opportunities that year than I ever had in my life. I had every Christian television show called me or whatever, mailed or whatever, tried to get me to come on their show. And I was nobody. Like, it was bizarre. Like, I went away and it created like, we need this guy. I'm like, what in the world is happening? After a year and a half of it, I was laughing going, oh my gosh, like there's, there, I think I was up to like a couple thousand invitations to places that I'd never even heard of that were amazing, like that were amazing places. I'm going, God, I don't understand what's happening. I'm, I'm literally taking all of my time off to be with you and literally not returning any ministry phone calls. I had an intern that worked for the House of Prayer that worked for me that just did all of that for me and didn't even talk to me about it. I just said, don't even talk to me, just solve it all, tell them I'm all on a break, you know? And, and people are like, it's creating an incentive to where your grace is pushing me and promoting me why I'm on a break, why I'm gone for a year and a half. There's all these incredible people out that whole year and a half, and they're calling me. This is bizarre, like who had no reputation compared to the people who did have a reputation. And I thought, it's so weird when you build God's way. It's so weird when you honor relationship. It's so weird when you honor your own boundaries. Like so many people don't honor self. They don't ever take a break. They don't take a vacation. They don't take family time. You know, this is Mother's Day. Like they don't take the time to say, I celebrate who you are. I was talking to my wife when we first got married. I said, you know, our moms only get, what, you know, three cards on your side and three cards on my side. Plus they get each other now, us too. And I said, that's all they get. So if we don't give them their cards and really honor who they are or call them or spend time with them, there's a lack of honor that will happen in their lives. After five or six years, they'll feel disconnected from us because we're not celebrating the times that our culture says, hey, this is a great time to be with your family. So if we run past our birthdays and our, and our mother's days and our family times and our vacations, we run past them to do something, 
will run over relationship and will model the exact opposite of what it looks like to be a heavenly person, which is to slow down for relationship and say, I treasure this and I treasure the gift that God gave me in my body, so I'm not going to eat terrible and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it maintained. I don't exercise to be a Hollywood star, obviously, because I'm not in that kind of shape, but I exercise for energy. Like I need energy. I need, I have a two-year-old. She gets up every morning at six and she only sleeps eight hours a night. So she goes to bed and I, I, I stay up late because I'm so jealous for extra time where I don't have everyone depending on me that I stay up later than my whole family just because I'm like, I need my space. And then I have to get up at six. And so I'm like going, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I didn't know what lack of sleep was. I'm an old dad. <laughs> so I exercise because I need the energy because I want to honor this because I've broken down before. I know what it's like to break down in your body. I know what adrenal fatigue looks like. I know what malaria looks like. I know things that you, we shouldn't experience in our lifetime. And performance leads to self-death. And you can have all kinds of good things happening, but you'll have a midlife crisis at some point. I've seen 20-year-olds have midlife crises where it's about identity, where their identity is off because they're not loving here. They're not loving their family unit around them. And therefore, they're not contributing to the world where there's a grace that maintains them even when they shut down or when they go through a hard period, their family goes through a hard period because that grace is, it's so beautiful. It will take you past any performance you've ever been in. And God will not only maintain your calling for you, he'll advance it while you're not even working on it. Whether it's your business, whether it's whatever it is. I was on the airplane on the way back to, from Australia. I got like, Upgraded all the way to first class, which was my first international first class flight. I love business class. I go business class international all the time, but first class is like a new experience. I'm like going, oh, you know, I'm here 14 hours. This is my heaven. I can sleep. I can watch movies. I have unlimited food. They have ice cream with caramel sauce. This is amazing. I'm done, you know? And a guy died on the plane. He was trying to get back to America to die in America. He's like in his 80s. And so I wasn't traumatized by it in the sense of like, I mean, he knew he was in his last legs of death. He was able to say goodbye to everybody. They were all Christians. I ended up talking to the family and, and whatever. But, but we had to stay in Australia an extra night. Well, when I got back on the plane, I just wanted to ask one of the flight attendants. I said, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm like, no, HR didn't even call me. I'm so traumatized by this. I've never had someone die on the plane, and I had to take care of it, and I, I just feel so weird. Like, I haven't been able to shake it off me, and I'm like, oh, let me hug you, and I said, I'm going to pray for you, and there's two other flight attendants. They go, come over here, girls. I'm praying for you. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Come over here and pray. I'm going to pray. Like, okay, and they just, like, came over, like, thank God. They were, there was no weirdness. I don't know why there wasn't weirdness. That should have been really weird. There was no weirdness. And I, and I held their hands and I said, I break trauma off you and I pray for you right now. Like everything that just feels off inside of you, I pray that it'd feel on again. God's that good. He loves you. And I just, I pray that everything would be rebalanced inside of you. And they're like crying. And then afterwards, we're like, we feel so good. The captain comes out. He's like, what are you doing to my girls? He's laughing. And I said, I'm praying for him because they were traumatized by what happened yesterday. And he's like, oh, me too. Can we talk for a minute? So we go over and like... <laughs> So pretty soon, I have the whole first class section. I went one by one and prayed. They, asked, they all asked for prayer. I never had anything. Like, I, was the, I was the plain chaplain. <laughs> I've never had that happen before. So one of the couples who are Christians, they're totally striving. The guy's going, I know what's going to happen. My whole business is falling apart. We've been delayed from another flight. Then we're delayed from this flight. It's been five days since we've been home. They upgraded us to first class. That was cool. We've never been there before. But he goes, I, I have to get home. Like, I can just feel it's all falling apart. And I said, okay, we're going to do something. I said, I, I want you to put all your trust back into God. Just put it all back into him. Just put it in his hands. And I want you to say, God, you love my business more than I do. You are my par business partner. And I put you responsible for this. And you know my circumstances. I couldn't have avoided this. So I give you the ability to work it through. And I give you my stress. And I give you my anxiety. And I, I literally cast my cares on you. And I'm going to practice this the whole plane ride, knowing that by the time I land, you will have resolved something and will give me a sign because you're that good, because you love this business more than me. He's like, okay, okay, let's do it. So we get on, and it didn't have internet on the flight. Some of them do now, but it didn't have internet on the flight. We land. He gets a text message right when he lands. He got two new contracts that were amazing contracts. And one of his employees said, hey, the whole time you've been gone, I feel like I just feel like the super manager. I've never done this before, but if you ever need help again, I'd love to help manage, and I'd love to like learn about management more because this has been so fun. And he texts me two weeks later and says, I'm at the best place in business I've ever been at in my entire life. But there's this place where we have to learn how to connect to God that way because the world around us is looking for what does you plus God equal? 
You know, what is your family equal when it has God in the center of it? Because they see divorce rates that are the same in the church. So they're like, what is it equal? Like, how do you get resolution? Like, you're saying that there's something different, but it just sounds like a lot of words. Tell me your experience. And you start to tell, like, oh, my gosh, my son was ADD, and this is what happened, and this is how God led us through that, or my family went through this, or I went through this sickness. And they're like, oh, you're discipling me through your stories on how to know what God's like. We're taking entertainers right now. We're making a little YouTube show for next year. And uh, we're taking entertainers from all different entertainment industries. And we're interviewing and we're asking them about four questions. And the first question is, tell us about your career. The second question is, tell us what you're working on. The third question is, what is your greatest God moment in your career? And when we get to that question, you guys, it's only a 30-minute show. When we get to that question, we're devastated when the show's over. Because it's like so rich and so good and so beautiful to hear and one of our girls, her name is Peta Sargent. She was on The Originals, which is a vampire werewolf show. She's on Once Upon a Time, which you guys have probably heard of that as one of the villains. She's one of a bunch of stuff. She's from Australia. And um, she, she was sharing about how she was new in her faith when she moved to L.A., and so she was being discipled by our community. And at one point, this movie deal came to her, and she was about to, she was about to say yes to it because of the greatest movie deal, but she knew it was wrong. She knew it would compromise her faith, to be honest. She knew it was the compromise of who she was and her character. But she goes, she told God, because it was an A-list movie, lots of money. She's, and she was struggling, even though she was on all these shows, she was struggling financially because it's so hard to live in L.A. and pay her management and agency fees and everything. So she goes, God, I know you're good, and I'm just telling you I'm not mature enough in my faith to say no to this film. Can you take it away from me, please? And I thought, what a great prayer. Like, that's an awesome prayer. Like, it doesn't always work, but that's a great prayer. <laughs> and she gets a call from her agent the next day, and they said, hey, they just passed you over for this role. She was the number one. They were going to pick her almost like no matter what. They were just waiting to hear back from the agency. When the agency called them, they said they didn't want her anymore. And she's like, yes, you love me. You love my career. You love me, God. You love me. I didn't know how to say no for me, but now I do. And then she got one of the greatest opportunities the next week she'd ever dreamed of. But she needed to be in that place where she was submitted. She needed to be in that place where she, she was self-valuing, where she was valuing what, the value that God put inside of her. And she, she was just honest. I couldn't do this. Well, when she's sharing that story to other entertainers and other people going after stuff, they're like going, oh my gosh, God loves you that much. God does that God cares that much. Because everyone who is unsaved, who's gone after the entertainment industry, has made some decisions on shows that they have compromised who they are to be on something. You know, and they're like, oh, okay, I had a friend who, he literally went to a James Franco shoot because it was James Franco, and he got there, and it was pornography from James Franco, which was like indie film. And he got there, and he's like, okay, I guess I'll stay. Why would you stay? Because he didn't know who he was inside. And, and so we have these people telling these stories and being like, here's where I compromise, you know. Here's, here's what God's teaching me. And when people hear it, they hear not just truth, but they hear their own story, and they get discipled by the vulnerability and I feel like it, the more vulnerable we'll be, the more revival we'll get. People don't need you to come and say, I'm a superstar, everything's okay. Like me plus God equals, I am perfect now, thank you. They need to hear you say, oh my gosh, our family last night, it was total chaos. I haven't slept in three days, it's been really hard. And I'm okay though, like even in the midst of being a new parent, no sleep. Like, oh, I'm telling you, like I'm still totally functioning. I, I still feel like me. And I mean, like I've had new parents go, How? How do you still feel like you? I'm like, I don't know. God is good. Versus like, well, because I made great choices. Because I'm pretty awesome. I'm on this plateau of maturity that's up here, and you guys are kind of down here right now. So I tell you this because in my life right now, I'm operating in a prophetic gifting that's really fun. And, and a lot of people really like this prophetic gifting. And, and I, I don't know if you were you guys at the conference. We had a lot of fun, and uh, there was moments in the conference that were really beautiful, and, and so a lot of people are like going, okay, we want this prophetic gifting, but really the message behind the prophetic gifting that I'm bringing, which is more important than the gifting, the gifting proves the message, is God wants us to be incredibly vulnerable, incredibly connected, and inc incredibly dependent. He wants us to be so in love with ourselves and with our families around us that the world can't stay away from us. That's the message behind it, the most simple message, the first and second commandment, to love ourselves, love others around us, and love God. God, number one, but it's proven in how we love ourselves and love other people around us. And God keeps pouring out a prophetic gifting on me where I've met with crazy amounts of people and known secrets of their hearts. It's been a crazy season. 
and I'll enter into moments of grace, and other times I don't have grace. And it's coming on my team, like Cody and my pastors and my leaders, and then now our community members. As a matter of fact, we have a transsexual in our church who's still, she's deciding if she's going to stay as she, and, you know, brand new to the faith in the last couple of years. And she's prophesying, like, people's addresses and phone numbers at times. She's like, she's entered into a prophetic dimension of just love of God and prophesying over people what God's saying. I'm like laughing, going, oh my gosh, God, that offends my theology right now. I don't even know what to do with her. It's like a long process because she's a whole package. And I'm like going, I don't even know what to do with this because she loves you and she's prophesying like we're prophesying. She's, and it's not just the gifts of God are irrevocable. It's like we're in a grace where we're focusing on the love of God and he's proving it through speaking to us. And I, I just believe God has something for you even as John is taking you guys on an evangelism journey as a church and as I'm sure your pastors are, are bringing you into a dimension of faith that I can feel this is a faith camp. I can just feel that there's faith here. And I believe that God wants to do something where he, he marries gifting to what's already there in love. Gifting without love sucks. That's why all those people who failed in the past, it's like their lives sucked. And at some point when gifting breaks down and your identity is not in check, it sucks. I mean, I've had times where I can't be gifted. I try really hard. But I still have my family and I still have everything around me. And I'm like, it's awesome. I can't perform. Because some of the stuff that we do, it's like, there's sometimes it's not grace for it on our lives. And artists experience that, businessmen experience that. All of a sudden you're like, I've run out. I don't know what I've run out of, but I can't access something that I normally can access. Usually it's an upgrade or a promotion, but you have to have something uninstalled to have something installed. But we don't feel like that at the time. And there's moments I've come into meetings where I'm like going, there's no prophetic grace on me and that's what they brought me in for. Awesome. <laughs> but that's not my identity. You know, so it's like my identity is love. So it's it doesn't matter. Like I've... I'm much more than what I can do for you. And if we come out of that place to each other, the world's not worthy of that kind of love, where we're like, I love you. I really, I really want to see you know how much God loved you. Here's what my life and story is like, and your story is worth a thousand sermons. If you tell it in an emotionally intelligent way that's connected, not an overpowering runover way, but an emotionally empowered way, you can change the world. And I believe God wants to add the prophetic to that because it, it's an accelerator of relationship. That's what it is. It's not supposed to be a gifting that's like, oh, my people, I say unto thee. The old school, like, the Lord thus saith, the Lord of hosts. Some of you are like going, I haven't been around that in a while. But <laughs> it's not supposed to be an identity gifting. It's supposed to be an accelerator of love. What has technology done? All of us have cell phones in our hands. Most of them are smartphones. What has it done for you? You know, as you guys, I'm sure your grandparents. I'm sure that technology has caused you to, have you ever FaceTimed? You haven't done it? They have. So they FaceTimed. So say face, you, can, you can connect face-to-face with people you're not in the same room with all around the world. You know, the, these cell phones are like, they're a gift to relationship. Facebook bought virtual reality. They bought the virtual reality technology. It was like the top one last year because all these game companies were gonna buy it, but Facebook bought it because they said, it's the best relational tool we've ever seen, we can't wait to develop it. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is not like for systems and governments. Prophecy is for relationship. It's high-tech love. It's the way to know each other. It's a way to feel what God thinks about each other. It's the way to feel the treasure that each other is. It's a way to see each other after God's own heart. And if we'll go after it that way, there's no limitation to what he'll bring in our gifting. Isn't that amazing? So I just say that, you know, as, a, as kind of a, a cap to the meeting today of just saying, like, I really believe that God wants to give you a harvest. And I really do think he wants to use you in evangelism and, and the prophetic. But it's going to come out of this strong, like, I love that your whole family was up here. Like, I love that. I, I love it. And, and that's really special when families do churches together. And there's clusters of family in this room. It's so beautiful. It's like revival comes out of that sense of family. You know, revival comes out of not entitlement of gifting, but revival comes out of people who come in and they go, oh, it looks like family, it feels like family, it feels like what I don't have or what I'm missing or what my family's broken down in. I feel the security of it here and I feel safe. And you guys do have that. So I think there's a harvest for you to have that's beautiful. I mean, you guys are brothers who married sisters. I've never heard of that. That's amazing. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) That's not patronizing, but it really is cute. I, mean, I was looking at your son who was helping to lead worship and I just was looking at him and I, kept, I told him, I was like, I wanted to hear more from him. And I just, I can tell what's on him. Like he has just something like really 
almost mystical in him. I could just feel it like where it's just, he loses himself in music. I loved it. And just, you have something here, you know, that's beautiful. And so if, if you guys realize that the major of what you have isn't the anointing, but it's love, which is the anointing, <laughs> you know, that is the anointing, then, then you'll feel empowered to go anywhere you need to go. You don't need to wait for 10 more installments of something. You have something that's exportable right now that the whole world will come to, that the government, that Abbotsford, the city is looking for. They're looking for how do we do this and this and this and this. Well, it looks, family's a paradigm for this and this and this and this. And so I say that just, I came to encourage you in that. And I want to pray for you guys for, to hear from God more. And I'm, I hopefully will have some prophetic words. We'll see what happens. But Cody will for sure. No pressure, no performance. <laughs> I'm going to have Cody come up now. And I want you to start playing Cody. And um, I want you all to stand just to kind of change the, the mode so we can all just focus differently. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad the family likes it. Because families can also be dangerous and boycott you. And if one of them doesn't like you, they all don't like you. So it's good to know that... You liked it, because that means that they'll all like it. No. <laughs> it is the truth. We, we have like, um, our church is kind of like, we have a joke that we have the family inside of it, like the mafia family. Like if one of them doesn't like you, they all don't. So I have to break it down all the time and go, family in the kingdom does not look like mafia. <laughs> you hurt my friend's feelings. You're dead to me. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's how Hollywood is run. So we have to like constantly do course correction. That feels like family, but that's not family. That's called politics. So I want you to just put your hand on your heart as he's getting ready. And I, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for this amazing church and this amazing family that you've installed grace on to do a real strong work here in the city, in this region. I pray right now that you would give them wisdom and revelation on how to do what they already have revelation about. I speak over you words of wisdom, which is revelation on what to do with revelation. I feel like there's been rich prophetic inheritance here, but I pray, Lord, that you would show them now, show them, give them strategies and blueprints and guides on how to do what they're called to do. I pray that they would feel like this is a season of your heart, Holy Spirit, comforting them and counseling them into doing the, the highest form of what they're called to and having the highest form of family, God. I pray for new strategies over homes and home meetings. Just new strategies where, where households would become revival centers, God. I just really see that here, that households are going to have a spirit of revival and visions and dreams and encounters over them. So Lord, I pray that it would just feel like anything's possible, not just at church, but in homes. Lord, I thank you for this outreach we're doing next Saturday. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint it, that it would be a prototype, that you would keep using these, these outreaches of these times of being trained and equipped, that they would be prototypes for how you want to save people. I feel like the Lord's saying some of your leaders aren't even saved yet. Some of the people who will be the most significant of this church don't even know Jesus yet. But as you see them with eyes of love of who they are and call them in, you'll be shocked at who he brings in. Clusters of families who will come in and they'll have so much impact and influence. It's like you should start to feel homeless for those who aren't home yet. Or homesick, not homeless. Homesick for those who aren't home yet. Lord, let us have a homesickness for our family that's not here yet birthing us a love that feels like we're not complete yet because there's more. There's more. There's more we get to love. There's more that are going to add so much value to us as we add your value to them.